Welcome to the Franken Tech Podcast with your hosts, Erwin, Jacob, and George. In this episode, we talk about Moonshot Incubator and Derbies. And I'm going to be talking about database citizens. And I'm going to be talking about why Moonshot it. All right, so we're back. You're listening to episode six for June 21, uh, 2017, and we're titling this The Moonshot. In the world of tech, a powerful computer is built from different components. It's called Frankenstein Design. In our podcast, Frankentech, we will look at what tools and tips could help you create the best product for your students. Come listen and see what Frankentech look tools we find. Hi, everyone out there. I'm George Barsonis. I'm a media specialist for Bellevue Union School District. And I am Erwin Espino. I'm the technology coordinator for Bellevue Union School District. And I'm Jacob Lopez. I'm the IT director for the Bellevue Union School District. Now, did you know? So I'm going to be talking about uh, in the world of tech, CRISPR. So some of you may have heard about this. Um, a few podcasts talked about it. I first heard it on Radiolab and recently uh, Freakonomics covered it as well. But basically, scientists have been able to find a set of genetic code from bacteria's immune system where they can precisely edit any genes in any cell of any organism. So talking about using it to permanently cure Huntington's disease. Um, China's using it to uh, genetically engineer micropigs that are the new fad in pets. And, uh, but it could also be, it's kind of crazy because it's so inexpensive to do the technology. We're talking about in the next few years, it costing less than $100 to edit someone's uh, genetic code. And you can actually edit one cell to produce more CRISPR viruses that can actually go and infect the rest of the cells in the body. So you actually change someone's DNA permanently. And they're talking about kind of Gattaca style or uh, Brave New World style, where you can actually select the color of your child's eyes, the color of their hair. And um, the thing about it is so easy and it's so uh, publicly available now that pretty much anyone um, can will be able to do it in a very short amount of time. So it's kind of uh, freaky because even if we were to regulate it in the United States or in some states, other countries could really do whatever they want with it. So they're already, they've already uh, done it to some human embryos, um, which is kind of crazy. I mean, they were not vi- they're not viable human embryos, but it's pretty crazy if you want to read more about it. It's CRISPR, C-R-I-S, uh, C-R-I-S-P-R. And um, Radiolab, I think, did a really excellent podcast about it, but the uh, Freakonomics one was, that was recent was also really good. So those are both two good sources if you want to learn more about CRISPR. Have you ever seen the movie Gattaca? Jacob? I have, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's, it gets referenced to Gattaca quite a bit. I love that movie. <laughs> you know my middle child's name, Vincent, is from that movie. <laughs> no, not of that. <laughs> You're funny. Uh, I'm going to be talking about life. And um, so Elon Musk is the uh, CEO and founder of a lot of companies, PayPal, um, Tesla. And now he's the co-founder of the boring company, which uh, essentially is a company that's uh, trying to do like an outside of the box thinking right now with um, the biggest issue that our society is probably facing, especially here in California, which is traffic. So what the boring company or the purpose of the boring company is, is to design um, either flying cars, which is like the craziest idea you probably saw, like Back to the Future, right? In 2015, we would be already flying these these cars. But obviously, that didn't happen. Or he wants to uh, essentially come up with the idea of um, digging underground tunnels through major cities. So right now, he has an eye on doing this in Los Angeles uh, as because they're the biggest with 
traffic, you know. So essentially, he wants to build these underground tunnels. Um, and uh, it, he he has this nice uh, video, if you guys go check out the Boring Company's uh, website, uh, where it shows essentially his idea of uh, what it would look like. And uh, he has this, um, basically, the way he, they put it is rows must go in 3D. So there's just multi-layers of 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 roads essentially going over each other and crossing each other, uh, which is all handled through um, equipment that essentially the boring company would provide, of course. So you're not actually driving. Uh, the, the the this equipment or these these platforms would essentially move you from point A to point B. And uh, anyways, so something pretty cool. It's called the Boring Company. Go check it out. It's uh, was recently uh, launched by. Uh, uh, the co-founder uh, Tesla, uh, Elon Musk. Wow! So it would be costing as much as one billion per mile. He, well, that's the average tunnel. That's what it costs right now. So he's trying to reduce that oh, cost as much as possible. Yeah, with advances in technology, like he he believes that he can accomplish that uh, in a pretty short time span. And according to recent articles that, that have been out and about, like Los Angeles Times has had a couple of articles, um, the Los Angeles uh, mayor, I'm forgetting his name right now, but he uh, has had meetings already with Elon Musk, essentially that they're basically okay with moving forward or at least planning it to see like what it would look like. So I mean, it, it, it's it's looking like it's it's gonna be done. And Elon Musk is pretty serious when he puts his mind to it. something. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, but I don't, why the boring? <laughs> I don't know. We could talk about like, the boring company. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't I don't that's know why the name. boring company. Like the lane. I like the name. It's pretty cool. Okay. <laughs> All right. So what I'm gonna talk about is derbies. And so uh, this uh, this last month, um, I got a chance to go to Wyoming. And one of the things they did uh, for the summit I was at, they did uh, they took us to a demolition derby. And I was kind of like, eh, about it. I wasn't really excited about it. But um, have you, have you, either of you guys been on the Demolition Derby before? Have you? No, I have not. Okay. But so I've let me, seen just, the, let me uh, set this up for you. So you get there. We park in the way out. In the, like, it's like Sonoma County Fairgrounds. You're way out there. We walk up, and you hear the, the chants, and you hear the people cheering, and you hear, like, <laughs> it's huge stands, right? And so we walk in, and I'll put some pictures of this when I walked in. I was, like, dumbfounded. I was just like, what did I? I, just, I walked into, like, the, to welcome to the Thunderdome, like, oh, old school carnage. So when you walk in, it's huge stands, and in the middle, there's this big, like, uh, dirt pit. And then it has these mounds that go up. And I didn't realize what the mounds were until later on. Like, your cars, so if they hit it, if they go outside the mound or get stuck on the mound, they're dead. And they can't. They're disqualified from it. And basically, a demolition derby, you, you're hitting each other. But there's actual, I was looking up the rules, there's actual strategy in this stuff. So if you notice, a lot of people in this in this derby were driving backwards. So they, they save their engine until the last, at the end, it's all bloodbath. It's like everyone's going for it. And it was like, seriously, we got there like at 6.30. We didn't leave until like 11 because it was like huge. You If you win, if you're the top winner, you go to the final round. And then it was like a $2,000 prize at the end. And so these guys were like using strategies. So there's different levels. There's like trucks. There's like cars. There's uh, bigger cars. There's all these different th- classifications of it. And what was kind of cool is that the demolition derby is as after they're done with their round and if they move on, there's like these pits that go in the back and you see the the sparks going up and they're repairing this part or they're doing this. So some of the tires will pop on the demolition derby and they keep going. It's like you keep going. And then you have a stick sticking out of your your window. 
um, that if you're disqualified so they don't hit you anymore, you have to break it off. And it's like literally breaking off a stick from that's attached, that's bolted to your door, and then you're you're out. And then the rules are every 90 seconds you have to hit something. <laughs> and if you're not, you're, just, you're like if you're running around for your life, you go. And so this is my favorite one is a Taurus. A Taurus was in there with some like massive cars, and it was like beep. And it would run around and beep, it would run around. And it kept going into the final round. And the final round, it got destroyed because everyone tag teamed on it because they were just bashing on it. But it was pretty cool because I was like, why is that guy driving backwards in the first round? And I'm like, oh. Then I I started to see, you know, where they were hitting was selective. A couple guys were doing the whole bait, were pretending to be stuck because it's dirt. And the car would come flying at it. And then last minute, it would move just an inch out of the way. And then the car would fly over the... um, the dirt mound, it would be disqualified because it missed because all that forward momentum. I mean, it's it gets to the point where you're in ruts and they couldn't move. So um, if you've never been to Demolition Derby, it's a little weird crowd, you know, especially since so much alcohol. But at the beginning, I was kind of like a passive watcher. But at the end, I was like, kill him. You know, like I'm not, not literally killing, but like, get that card. Come on, 88. It was like, you just got into it and invested. So I'll put some pictures and video of it. Um, I would say it's probably one of the best times I've had or just like, you let loose and see you know, people with actual skill in driving, actual strategy. I was wanting that little Taurus to win until the end when it got destroyed, but it was a pretty cool experience. So, uh, so you didn't big... actually drive? Oh no, I would <laughs> I would have been dead off the gig because I'm a pretty um, good bumper car person. But in those things, it was like you know they there was a couple times like a guy got caught in the middle. It was like squash, and then and then what's crazy is they take everything out of the inside, so there'll be smoke coming out of the car, and they'll keep driving it. Like they'll be like you know, some some pipe got dislodged, and there's only one time they stopped it because there an actual fire popped out in the guy's engine <laughs> and then it was like you know this is funny it, it was crazy it was nuts it sounds so like Doris need- the Sheldon yes of the whole thing <laughs> it All sounds right. like I need to get to one of these Release, right. release some stress. I should enter your uh, your Nissan into it. <laughs> yeah, right. No, there's actually yeah. rules against that. There's, you have, to have a certain type of car. Like you couldn't use any of the old school like steel ones. They were like had to be. They're invisible. Yeah, where your body just absorbs all. The and then the truck one was pretty cool. The truck one was they they uh they unfolded the back part of the truck. You know where you you put up the to tailgate. Cook. The tailgate they put it down and then they strap it down so it's like a, a, knife. a like a, yeah, knife. And the whole time they were driving because a truck is a, a really short uh, front end and a back. A big back end, so they were all trying to hit each other from driving over the shoulder, and they're like, you know, it's like these reverse things going through, and then it w- it was kind of a cool thing because once they hit the front, it w- you were done. You were you were like it just. Wait, so was it trucks? Was it a truck only competition? No, so there's only? only like think of it as like heavyweights and lightweights, okay. and midweights. So I was like, that's unfair if it's like the tourist no, and the truck, no, the, the, the they F350. were never no because that would have hit it right in the in the driver. I know, I was like, that's dangerous. <laughs> that would have cut his head off. All right, so we've been out for a while. We're in summer right now, and it's kind of cool that we got a chance to get back together and see these guys. I got a chance to spend some time with Jacob and Modesto for a Google Summit, and I'm really excited to see Erwin again uh, because it's hard to always see him because he's always in his little hole <laughs> doing his job and doesn't, when doesn't get out much. So I'm excited that I got to see him. You're so funny. And so uh, this Moonshot episode, we're going to start with the Phillips in, uh, ins and out of the classroom. So one that I've been playing with that I kind of want to share with you guys, I actually posted this yesterday, um, is I've been playing a lot with Google Draw. It's one of the, my, uh, when I go to do sessions, it's one of the things that people don't know anything about at the beginning. They're like, Google Draw isn't a really cool tool, but it's one of my favorite ones for graphic design. And uh, I've been playing a lot with different apps that can enhance my Google Draw. So what I did is I created a, um, uh, a Wildcat logo 
Uh, I've been trying to do logos for, for schools that are like a little more unique and unrealistic to the animal instead of like the clip art ones where it's like rawr, or the eagle that everybody uses. And so uh, someone asked me to do a wildcat one. And so I did it for basketball. So I took the wildcat um, head and I, from a side view, I took a little bit of the Thundercat inspiration from it. I used to love that show, Thundercats. I don't know if you guys remember that. Thunder, thunder, thunder. Whoa. <laughs> okay, Jake. Every time we do this podcast, I just feel a little bit closer to you. All right. And then, um, and then in Irwin, you have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> okay. It was the greatest show. You got to get out of your hole, man. And they looked at the thing. There's, uh, I'll send you some links to that. But um, so I took that. I took the shape of a basketball and uh, I created it into a, a logo. So a, a logo that looks like it. But I took an app called InLight, which allows you to do transparencies. So it's a pretty cool Photoshop. So I took the basketball as the background image of the of the drawing. And that way I can like change things that uh, see like see through. So I have another person. Person who the guy who asked me to do it, I put him as the background on his on his uh, um, he's doing wakeboarding. I put him as the background image inside the drawing uh, by doing the Should app in light. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes so you can see it. And, it, and it's something that I think uh, is an easy. So I think I put on there as a tagline: "Hours of design done in minutes." And the greatest thing about this is I did it on my phone. So Enlight is an awesome app, and I'll put both those in there. But it's just a quick way to be able to do those things that you can kind of create stuff using your phone, which I think is always the best thing. So that's my in and out for today. So I'm talking about my obsession, which is my daughter, and her latest fascination, which is doorstoppers, the little springy ones that go... <laughs> she How do they go? <laughs> you got it? Yeah, I got it. Uh, <laughs> And she likes to crawl around, and when she finds one at uh, my in-laws' house, she grabs it, and she is fascinated about it for a long time. And um, yeah, it's awesome. It's my new favorite thing that she does. So that's my uh, that's my in and out of the classroom. That is the cutest video I had ever seen in a long time, man. I mean, I I shared the video. Remember of my. Uh, wife's knees right having the ice cream yeah, for the yeah. first time so that one's that one's really good man <laughs> i really liked it that's awesome thanks jacob actually guys i'm gonna as a one of the uh, phillips for an in and out of the classroom i'm gonna be talking about a um a new app that just got released for ios um and it's coming in on android pretty soon um, and that's the post-it. Um, so you guys use post-its probably in your office or even in your classroom wherever and you have them all over the place, probably with random notes. Well, this Post-it app from the makers of the Post-its uh, themselves, <laughs> they released uh, this app to essentially, uh, you can take pictures, um, which then converts those notes into a digital format, which can then be shared uh, with multi different platforms, essentially. So I know Dropbox is definitely one that's supported, which my guess is if Dropbox is supported, I'm going to guess that Google Drive uh, will be integrated or is already integrated. But um, it's definitely an app to check out, so uh, Post-it app. So check it out. And it's only available right now for iOS, and um, it's free. Uh, and uh, it should be coming to Android really soon. So I can't wait because... I mean, I don't. I have posts here and there, but I know that like office managers probably can benefit from this, or even um, even teachers. So use it, check it out. No, and I, and I think um, how come this doesn't happen before? You gotta think about it. Like yeah, you know, it's one of those things. It's that, taking forever for them to release an app like that too. Think about it, right? Yeah. <laughs> but but again, it keeps us organized. So, yeah, for sure. Uh, it's something that's pretty cool. All right, so the whole. 
and I, and I got to give some background here. So uh, on this last uh, uh, summit that I went to in Wyoming, um, I met uh, two people that were actually going to be two people that I want to interview for this podcast. Uh, one of them is Chris Bell, which is uh, one of the, the, the guys in the EdTech team that uh, is involved with this group called the Moonshot Laboratory. And then the, uh, the, one of the creators Moonshot of Laboratory? it. Moonshot Laboratory. Labo- Laboratory? No, I don't know. Am I saying it wrong? Laboratory. Laboratory. No, no, laboratory. Not uh, anyway. The Moonshot <laughs> Incorporation, or whatever. Okay. Now you got me thinking about like the a bathroom. All right. So <laughs> they, uh, he, Chris Bell was the one who kind of talked a little bit about it. But the guy that really got me sold on it um, is, is a guy named Brennan, who is passionate about it. And so kind of want to kind of share with you guys what that's about, and then kind of discuss a little bit about it. So the conversation that I had with these guys, they were talking about uh, what's wrong with education. And what, what are the things that are happening that can be revolutionary? And so um, he uh, opened up the conversation that he said, uh, the, the biggest problem with education is we're not giving the kids empowerment. The kids aren't getting opportunity to, um, to create, to share, and to help. And I was sitting there thinking, okay, I kind of heard these things before, especially when we listen to keynotes of people talking about big ideas and, and, and kind of not uh, what are the next steps or what are the next new new thing that's happening. But this is the first time I've ever felt like um, I have bought in into something that I want to be a part of because I do think that there's something that needs to be addressed is, is the creativity that kids have. Um, I know I've heard it, a, a kindergartner given a paperclip. You know, you ask the kindergartner on this paperclip, what are the things you can create with this? Um, the number of options that it can make it into to compare to an adult is is way more. And I think, you know, we look at a paperclip as a paperclip and we don't look at it as more than just that. So the Moonshot Incubator is kind of crazy in the way that they, they do their idea. Um, and I'm just going to summarize it a little bit because I'm going to put this on the website. But I And I do, again, I want to interview uh, Brennan to talk about this more. But I want to, in four days of traditional school. And I want to kind of talk about one of the stories they show. Um, this is actually a story about one of their uh, kids kind of showing what they went through. Um, so this is an idea that four days of the school of the week, you go to normal traditional school. You go and you just do your math, your science, your 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 English, you're doing all the things you normally do. And on the fifth day, you go to the Moonshot Laboratory, which is a place that you go to uh, work on the, your idea. And um, the one that I like that I was talking to him about is this idea that this kid had, and I think his name is Kalei, um, where the kid was um, working in, in the mornings in Hawaii. He was surfing uh, out in the beaches, and then uh, and after school, he was working as a lifeguard. And one of the things he noticed that when you're working as a lifeguard on the beach, by the time I go out to save the, the, the guy that's on the, on the far edges, you're, you're, no longer, you're no longer saving them, or if you don't even see them, it's already too late. But you're, you're basically bringing them back to resuscitate them. You're, you're trying to save his life instead of getting out to him to get him the help that he needs. Um, and, and it's something that was because you're swimming against the current. It's not like you're lifeguarding at a pool. And so one of his moonshot ideas was, oh, let's create a drone that can pick up the person and bring them in. And it was just, you know, that's kind of the big idea. And one of the things I thought was kind of cool is that they didn't say no. They said, okay, uh, let's figure out how you would do this. And so they put them in, in touch with a, um, a company that creates drones, and they were just telling them flat out, there's not a drone that big that, that you can create that can be feasible that can pick somebody out of the water. Not just yet. And so he didn't stop. He didn't stop there. He went there and go, okay, how how do I control a drone? Just go out there and drop a um, 
a life preserver to help the guy out. And so um, he uh, started working on the idea, and then he found out that it's basically a two-man job, that one person would have to spot, you'd have to fly it out, even with the little thing. Uh, uh, thing. He had he had fail after fail after fail uh, of trying to figure out, how do I do this? And so uh, one of the things they do in this Moonshot Laboratory is that they have these little summits where they get together with other Moonshot Laboratories and, and have ideas where you share out, and this is what I'm working on. And then you have to form teams, and you get to a point where you're, you're discussing with other 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 people so he met uh, another two students one student was trying to create with drones a way to in kansas how after i think it's a cyclone or a tornado whatever hits you in in kansas that takes you to the land of oz is that they have these drones that go up and map the uh the new area of disaster or like routes to get in and get out or what areas need help and so we're mapping with drones so drones that could could fly and hover and, and do these things so that was one part of his team and then the other person that he met that he got a chance to to put, incorporate into his team was somebody who was working on a on an app that would uh, a goal with your smartwatch that would notify your parents if your heart rate went too high, or 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 you were in danger that would notify your parents right away that you were in danger in your location, and so those three got together and then what they ended up working out is they would make a, a a waterproof band that you would wear that was a smartwatch that you would go out into the ocean. So if you were going out to the further part of the breaks, it was a just like a wraparound band, and then when your heart rate went into to you were in danger, that the drone would fly out to where your location was and drop you a life preserver and then hover to let you, the, the lifeguards know where you were. And it was an idea that these three worked together, that these kid guys were incorporating. And that was one part, coming up with the moonshot idea. The other part that I like about this company, the, the thing they're doing, is that they're trying to get you to not only develop your idea, ask these questions, but also get investors in the community, get people in the community to support you. Because the whole idea of this moonshot laboratory is that everyone working together, from the kid getting the support to finding the right people for him to helping develop his idea to getting investors presenting your idea what they have shown is um their scores uh for ela for for standard for just the standards that we take have shot up because these kids are using the skills that they learn in school in actual uh life like improvement of life uh, uh things that they're helping their community and as they help the community the community also helps themselves because they're investing they're they're getting like imagine if you were one of these startup companies that you were there at the ground floor to help this this idea shoot off the ground these kids getting a support where we want to have and that's the whole thing about this idea i don't know down the road um you guys have already asked me this i don't know if everyone has a moonshot idea but doesn't everyone deserve a chance to have an opportunity to develop that idea doesn't everyone have uh those, those, given the right support, given the right uh, facilities, given the right ideas. And I know some of the stuff, if you go to this website, is you have to have people invested in this program. You have to have people that will be willing to give up their time, being willing to, you know, if someone told me right now, George, would you be willing to give up your time to help this kid develop this idea for, for no cost at all? I think right now, after looking at the mission of this, I would be. And that might be the thing. You might have to find the right group of people to do this. But in Hawaii, they're already doing this. And they're already coming up with those. So this is an example of one of the ideas. And the whole thing, uh, I, I put the links to the show. It's the moonshotincubator.com. Um, and then EdTech Team, which is the Google uh, arm of, of the, the technology, they have grouped up with this. The Janus Group has grouped up with this. And then the state of Hawaii has grouped up with this, which I already saying that, hey, this is the first time I've ever seen like, powerful groups working together to do this moonshot idea. So that's my 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 share out. Okay. Awesome. No thanks George. That's uh that's actually uh, really um as you put it a lot of the times very powerful actually cuz um 
we were having a discussion prior to this podcast, right? And um, I wish we would have gone all of that so people oh, could have heard us, right? Yeah. But um, the uh, the one thing that I like, and sorry, Jacob, I'm taking over no, here on fine, this one, but um, what I, just bouncing off George, and I think I have to go next just because um, I'm I don't want to sound negative, right? And and I, and if I do, I I, I apologize because I'm definitely not trying to be negative here. But the discussion we were having prior to the podcast starting is, um, I was mentioning that for me, I'm I'm Hispanic. I'm 31 years old, and I'm I come from a uh, I wouldn't say a financially struggled family or anything like that. I mean, luckily when I was growing up, my parents were able to buy me toys, you know, had food, all that good stuff, right? But um, but where I was challenged is with information. So like if I, I think you're right, if I think if people have the right information and they're given a chance, then they could succeed in life. And so for me, for example, I was, we gave the example that I didn't learn that I was going to go to college until I was in a senior in high school. So by being a senior in high school and you're kind of like, okay, three years have gone by that you should have been preparing yourself to go to college. So you should should have been getting good grades and all that stuff, right? So, uh, you know, all, these, all this time goes by, but um, I think that if I've, my kids, if I, one day I have kids, if I... It, my kids will have it a little bit different than uh, the way I had it, right? I think the opportunities they're going to have. But I think information is key. And then once you have this information, like this moonshot idea, uh, which um, another thing I mentioned prior to this podcast was the Boring Company is one of the reasons I shared it in the beginning of the episode, is Elon Musk, who is kind of the... Uh, out, the guy that just thinks outside the box and just kind of coming up with things that... If there's issues in the world, like what can we do to fix them is what he says. So, you know, one one of the things he looked at was fossil fuels. We were basically we're we're addicted to it. Right. I mean, you you move from point A to point B. And I mean, at, at a certain point, you have to go to the gas station, you fill up. Right. And then so you can continue moving on. And he thought that just. Can buy, buy, and, but those are limited resources. I mean, that, that's something we don't have forever. So, you know, he came up with the idea, okay, let me build a car. So let me build this electric car that can go f- the same distance that a current, just your conventional normal car can go. And he did it, right? I mean, it took him a couple of years, but, but he did it. He accomplished it, right? And he built out a plan. So, I mean, um, you know, he, he laid out this idea, this, this enormous uh, uh, problem. He tackled this enormous problem. And uh, it's, it's so far, it's been pretty successful for him, for him, right? So now he's coming out with a more of a budget-friendly car that, you know, more people could afford. And, and, and so we could get off those fossil fuels, right? But then he recently funded this company called The Boring Company, which is now tackling the traffic issue that we all face. I mean, if you live in the Bay Area, you know what we're talking about. And if you live in Southern California, you know what it's like. So, you know, he's working towards uh, creating these underground tunnels is, is his ultimate goal to, you know, where basically people use this empty space and to move you from point A to point B and in a faster way. So he gave an example, and I can't remember the details from where, what was the start point right now, but he gave a detail that from, it was really far from, I think it was downtown LA to 
Los Angeles airport. I think right now it's like a 45, 50 minute commute with traffic. And so if, if this underground tunnel idea goes through and he builds it, it would be like a 10 or a 15 minute commute. So it's like a huge drastic change in, 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 in time. Right. So anyways, but yeah, no, I think moonshot ideas are, are awesome, but you know, you, I think a person has to have that, that information and then just think outside the box, just, you know, okay, what can we do to fix this problem? Right. Now, so. I don't know a lot about Elon Musk, mm-hmm. but where does he get the funding for these ideas? Well, he's a uh, well, he was an early on investor, right? I, and then he did in, um, fund uh, PayPal. Yeah, I mean, I so PayPal. and then PayPal. he started PayPal, and then um, he started investing in other companies, became a billionaire, and then now he has a lot of money. <laughs> now, Jacob, before you go, this is a thought that I want to add to this podcast, and I want to make sure that this is where I'm coming from. Elon Musk had some financial means to to, to fund his ideas. Um, and I know, I know, and I know this is going to come down to statistics. We don't know. We don't know how many kids are out there. And the whole thing I like about the Moonshot Incubator is we don't know what ideas we're missing out. We might have, like, we always talk about it. Oh, what if this kid can cure, can- cure cancer or this kid has the mm-hmm. idea that helps do this. And we talk about all these other things with, you know, with Google, especially with the whole 20% project and all this stuff, is that one of the things that I think that Moonshot Incubator has shown me is that we're not just saying, let's have them think. Let's have them spend time and just think. We're saying, no, let's put a plan into place. Let's let's show them how to patent their idea. Let's show them how to talk to investors, how to present their idea, and let's let's and get the community involved. It's not asking Jacob, fix the problems of the world. It's asking you, hey, how do you help your community first? Because you gotta start somewhere. Like if mm-hmm. someone had told me if 14 years old, I know I had ideas. I still have ideas, but if 14 years old, somebody would come back to me, which is your freshman year, right? Your freshman year. That was your freshman Oh, yes, yes, Nacho Mama. Okay, backstory. Nacho Mama's restaurants. So my friend and I, so uh, uh, John Smith, if you're still, I know that was, it was the weirdest name, but if he's still out there, I still want to do this idea. His mom and my mom would mix Spanish food and, 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 um, and, and, uh, what do they call it? Southern comfort food. That, that our food would mix our beans with their chicken. And we do stuff like that all the time. So our idea was having, uh, black and soul food and Mexican flavor food put together and we called call it nacho mamas uh nacho mamas cooking with the nacho and the mamas so i don't know i thought it was a cool idea so but but now but that's beyond just the cooking thing but uh uh i got sidetracked but the whole if, if someone at 14 had told me hey what start thinking about those ideas as a muscle building and say hey what is something you can help with the community and if i would have had the idea at that time i think one of the ones i was looking at is a girl trying to develop uh, clothing i think i saw even an ad for this clothing for homeless people that um can be not only transported to from clothing but to uh tents you know they can reverse it and zip it up and it becomes a tent uh water flask that when you move uh, uh the, it filters your water things like Things that I look at and say, instead of saying solve the world's problem, solve your community's problem, it's something that can help you uh, in that way. So that's what I think about this when I think with the Elon Musk thing that I like you just shared is that whole idea. And I think it's really important that we, what I I'm really excited about what Jacob has to say because I know Jacob, you're you're kind of the 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 right side of my brain. If my left side is my creative side, right? Is that how it goes, or whatever side is the creative <laughs> side? You're the other one that's going to bring it back into that focus. And research say, is a bit apocryphal about the left side versus right side okay. of the. Okay, <laughs> all right. So I'm using it as a, a metaphor that, that I have that okay, or, or analogy. I don't know whatever it is. All right, so let's hear your your moonshot idea. So, like you know the the famous moonshot video, which you should actually put in the sh- show notes, is is like it's talking about the whole idea of it being called moonshot. This is when JFK came out and said, "Okay, we're going to go to the moon." 
And it's this big inspirational idea. We don't even know how we're going to do it, but we're going to make it happen. And so, and I love that video. It's really inspirational. But at the same time, I also recognize my own nature. And I would have been the guy in the back with like the glasses being like, oh, that sounds awfully expensive. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I don't want to, I'm going to be the, I'm going to probably make people angry when I'm, when I'm talking because I'm, I'm going to be that guy a little bit on this, this talk. So I think the moonshot idea is great. I mean, I'm, it's very inspirational. I think it, it, so it does maybe, help. So maybe you're going to be the negative one? Yeah, I'm going to be the negative one. I'm going to be the negative one. So, so my moonshot is kind of the anti-moonshot. It's building some skepticism and building some data-based thinking into schools. So I'm going to start with that and talk about how it relates to this um, in my mind. So it bothers me in education that in, in high school and math, calculus is considered the highest level. Like if you take, if you're in a school that teaches calculus BC in high school, that's usually considered the highest accomplishment you can get in math. And I took a lot of calculus. I took uh, four uh, levels of calculus when I was in college. And I have literally never used calculus in a practical setting ever. Whereas having a basic understanding of statistics is phenomenally useful, especially with all the things going on with fake news and misinformation. A lot of people are like, oh, there's a, a, a Pearson correlation value of 0.7. And people are like, that sounds really small. Like, what's 0.7? That's like a really high level of correlation, but no one understands what these numbers mean. And I think it causes a lot of science to sound fake or like it doesn't make sense and people just throw it out because it doesn't sound right to them. Because a lot of the things in the world are so complicated that they're like, there's all these degrees of separation. It's like the, when you drive your car, the pollutant goes in the atmosphere and there's that carbon dioxide, which captures greenhouse gases and that r increases the temperature. But also the ice caps might melt and, and, and ruin the uh, transport of heat energy from the equator to the northern and southern hemisphere, which might actually cool down the planet. So people are like, science is telling me global warming is going to make the planet cooler. It could be hotter. What's going on here? And it's because it's really complicated. People don't understand exactly what's going to happen. But most scientists that study it say it's going to cause some sort of change that's going to be problematic for the way humans live currently. So I think that people, I think the world's sufficiently complicated and people don't have that basic data understanding that makes it really hard for people to make sense of the world. And also people don't understand that a lot of the correlations that are printed in newspapers are spurious correlations. Like my favorite example of a spurious correlation is uh, ice cream sales and murders are highly correlated. So if a city sells more ice cream, like if Chicago sells more ice cream on a Saturday in July, they're also likely going to have more murders. And so you could say that, and that's obviously doesn't make any sense. And people, no one's ever going to say, stop the ice cream, you're going to kill somebody. It's because when people are hotter, they're actually more irritable. So people are more likely to get angry and kill somebody. It's actually a true, a true correlation. So sometimes people say, oh, did you know this is correlated with that? And they think that it's causational. So people don't understand the difference between, between correlation and causation. So I'm ranting and raving right now. But I really think that having a refocus on pragmatism in math and science to give some people some basic skills to be informed citizens when they're voting and looking at newspaper articles is uh, is a really valuable thing. It's something that I would really like to work towards in, in changing in terms of the focus of math in high school. Because I think it should be, in my opinion, a high school graduation requirement to have some sort of data literacy class at this point in the world. He's because, right, because we only take stats in college. Huh? Well, stats, some you can take stats in high school, but it's usually, when I was in high school, it was considered the lesser math. So I didn't take stats. I took calculus because it looked better on my college application. And I took stats then in college. And I took a lot of calculus in college because it was required for my major. Um, but, but stats, I find I use it much more frequently. And I think it's actually relevant to my daily life where I've literally never been like, oh, my velocity is changing at this rate. So what does that determine my acceleration to be? Oh, let me look at the area <laughs> under the curve. I've never done that in my daily life. I, there are some jobs that do do that, but it's, it's kind of an esoteric type of knowledge that's not really applicable to most people outside of engineering. Um, What's and, esoteric again? 
Esoteric means um, uh, kind of uh, obscure and like arcane knowledge that is not of a general usefulness. I, someone could probably correct me on that, but I mean, when I think of esoteric, I think of something that's kind of far out there and it's kind of some random fact or little piece of information they're not going to be, is not of much use to most people. Yeah, I love your language. So I think calculus is kind of more esoteric than statistics. I think statistics in this day and age is really relevant to almost everyone. And it's also highly employable. So my friend, one of my friends recently got a job at one of the major social networking sites in the Bay Area and his skills test was he had two hours to do data analysis. And now he, he lives in a four bedroom house in San Francisco and works seven hour days, it makes a ton of money. And it basically- For stats? Uh, it's basically stats. And I, I've actually- Analytics? And actually, when I was at Cal Poly, one of the most hireable professions was uh, actuaries, which are people that look at like, they work at life insurance companies and they say, okay, like what pieces of information can we use to determine how likely it is that someone's gonna die to look at how much to charge them. So yeah, I'm the downer guy. I'm talking about dying and actuaries and <laughs> how to uh, get the most money from people. But I mean, it is highly relevant, I think. So how that relates to this idea of um, like my question about the school that did um, that's these moonshot schools, because it sounds like the work is really interesting. I don't mean to downplay no, the work. Absolutely. It's really, it's phenomenally exciting what the students are doing. My question is, I have a few questions and I'm, and I'm looking forward to the interview with that guy. Cause like one thing is it was a lot of money that went into that school. So how scalable is it? Does the United States have the will if it is determined that it's a great model? Cause it's like, it's kind of like this, it was like a lot of money was funneled into a few schools to start this program. Is it scalable? Do we have enough people that can be the high quality mentors to keep the kids on the rails and make sure they're doing something worthwhile, not finding out, they're not figuring out the best way to play Pokemon Go is their moonshot thought. They're doing something that actually is relevant to the community because they need, I'm sure, some sort of mentorship to guide them along the process. And you see high quality mentorship, people that are willing to go above and beyond, like you mentioned, George, given that extra time. So how scalable is that in terms of dollars and people? Also with the data part, there's a selection bias. So this is kind of the data part of it. I mean, the families that are in that program, my understanding is they were aware of the program and they selected to put their students in that program. The data is very clear, and this is one of the criticism of a lot of charter schools, that when you have families that have the knowledge and the will to select a school for their students that they think it is the best possible option as opposed to just going to the default option, those are typically more well-educated and more active parents in the school system. And if their child is struggling with a basic skill like reading comprehension or reading uh, fluency, they're gonna hire a tutor, they're gonna make sure the student has all the gaps filled in without even the school having to worry about it. So when you have students that have all these basic skill gaps filled in, then you're gonna have, then they have the ability to do that kind of moonshot. Like the moonshot thought that JFK did, he had a lot of engineers that had a bunch of skills. It wasn't just a lot of people with no knowledge that felt inspired. It was people that had the basic <laughs> skill set to be successful with that set of inspiration. So I'm, I'm just concerned that like, I mean, I always, this is my, I'm gonna be extra down, but um, in California, they, uh, they estimate uh, how many prisons they need to build based on third grade literacy scores. Because in third grade, you're, you go from, from in the transition from third to fourth grade, the reason that's a pivotal year is because up till third grade and through third grade, you're learning to read. Starting in fourth grade, you're reading to learn. So if you don't know how to read, there's not as much instructional time teaching students how to read. It's more, okay, here's a book about uh, global warming. Go and read that and then, do, and then do a book report or tell the class what you learned. You're no longer saying, okay, how do we, how do we, how do we break down how this word sounds? How do we, uh, how do you understand, how do you make uh, sense of uh, the way this paragraph is written? How do you comprehend what you're reading? And so I think if you don't fill in those basic gaps, which are the boring, but in my opinion, necessary things, and then you try to do this moonshot, it's like saying, okay, this guy has a heart condition, he's on life support, but you know what, there's a marathon coming up. Let's send him in the marathon. Like, no, because it's like, that will get him going. Mm -hmm. It's like, that might kill him. Like, yeah. I mean, if you try to do a moonshot with kids that really need this basic remediation, then the time that they're not spending learning to read and write and do basic math, 
working on the moonshot might be detrimental. It may not be, but I really want to look at the data. I mean, I think doing a cohort growth analysis of the students that are in these moonshot pro programs could control for some of that. Um, and it could be a phenomenally successful. But like I said, when JFK was giving his speech, my natural inclination would probably been the guy in the back that's like, oh, that sounds really expensive and not feasible. Or when they try to do the supersonic flight. So sorry if that angers people. I really <laughs> am not an old curmudgeonly uh, no, person in the back that's trying to calculate yeah. when people are going to die. But it but, sounds like, a, it sounds like a, what you're saying um, the, the sounds like the first thing that that we would want to look at is always funding, which always comes down to money, right? Because you want to make sure you have the right people to do the job and earn good money to do the job. And and then after that, you want to look at a planning stage, right? How to how to accomplish or what are your 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 what's your objective? And okay, so how are we going to get this done? So you start planning something out. Right, so it, it, I feel like that's that's kind of what you're getting so, to. I mean, it's like it's hard um, right now because it's a whole like feasibility part that school is a very contentious and it's become a very political issue in the United States. So it's yeah. hard to get everyone in the United States to agree about anything. It'd probably quickly turn into some sort of like uh, rhetoric in the politics about how they're going to make robotic mm -hmm. children or something like that. <laughs> um, I mean, so there's that issue. But I'm guessing my thing is yeah, there's a funding aspect uh, to it. But if it is, if you're making a bunch of Elon Musk's, a bunch of people that are going to be phenomenally uh, Build, building the capacity for um, creation of wealth, which sounds uh, like a naughty way of saying it. But uh, if you look at economics, all about human improvement over time is all about making humans more efficient and more productive. So a lot of the reason why, he, why people in the United States are so much more uh, successful is because their productivity per day in terms of what they can think. It's like, imagine if you brought people shovels when they're digging with their hands. If, you go, if they move to a country where they have shovels and they're professional diggers, as a, a crude analogy, they're all of a sudden going to be able to do maybe 15 times as much work per day as they were able to accomplish before. So let's say each ditch they dig can f bring water to a field of corn. Each person is going to be able to generate 15 times as much corn as they would be able to generate without those shovels. So if you can create someone that can create the next shovel, then that's going to raise a lot of people out of, out of poverty. That's the big difference between... Uh, but what if that analogy goes a step further and say, well, how about every kid can get a shovel? And or build then, a shovel. No, no. Just go into what you were saying, even digging, is I feel like right now, and, 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 I, and I might go, I don't understand all the financial aspects of education, but I feel like the more I've been going around to summits and, and working with people, sometimes I feel like I would look at a bunch of teachers who had all brand new Macs. Every ki kid and teacher at that school got a Mac, which I, it's one of the most expensive things you can buy out of the computer world. But th with that, there wasn't given the... The, okay, you're given this tool. You're, I'm giving you a shovel now without telling you this is how it works. And then some kids might just grab the shovel and start lift, start digging with the other end. You know, they may look at it and use it in the wrong way. And so I feel like there's always been some money that's been thrown at problems. But I, I what I like about this idea is that it's not just saying, hey, we're going to give you this. We're saying a lot of that stuff comes down to the training. The training is almost as important as the technology you're given. And I feel like even in our school district, I feel we do have some, some great technology. But then it comes down to are we given the training, we're given the support, and then, and then again, the buy-in. You know, there's still people that I talk to and say, hey, let me help you with this. And it's not always like, oh, yes, please come and give your time up. I want to use you. But I do think that's really important that, that we look at the idea. And that's why I want to have this interview and say, okay, let's have this discussion. And maybe then you can go, oh, 
okay, this is what I've been looking for. And it could, and, and I will say from and then what we started our moonshot here. From what you've described to, to me about it, and I've never talked to the the uh, the guy that you were talking about that's behind it. it. Sounds, but it does sound like they do a really good, good job at selecting staff and doing the training part. And I agree. I think the training is more important than the technology. Yes. But um, my question is, are there enough, like, if you try to bring that to random school in California, random school in Nebraska, random school in New With York. no buy-in, yes. Like, how do you take this staff that may be, um, maybe just, they've been there a long time, they're not, like, into the idea and say, okay, now you're all going to be mentors and helping the students do these moonshot programs. So it's like, so they, I mean, they, that, that program sounds really successful. I'm not trying to be totally down on it. I just have questions. And I guess part of my data literacy thing is I think sometimes we do need in society a little bit more of the person that's like, just like, well, what does the research say about this idea? It might sound really exciting and cool, but what's the, are we going to get excited about something? Like, so for example, another moonshot idea, in my opinion, that is negative, in my opinion, is fracking. Someone said, hey, what if we figured out a new way to drill for oil where we could get a ton of oil out of what we thought were tapped wells? And, and, and kind of fix this oil shortage. But that led to a bunch of problems. Um, and so sometimes, so one person's moonshot might be to the detriment of society, if that makes sense, because really that allows us to be reliant on oil for longer. And I'm actually not super anti-fracking, but I'm to, to piss off more people. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, but I do think it makes us, I think we need to move away from fossil fuels, not figure out more ways to use them. So that's a moonshot idea that I think is negative. And we looked at, I think we need some sort of that critical thinking. Sometimes we get really excited about things, but we need to, check all the boxes. And maybe this program in Hawaii does check all my boxes. But it's just, it just something that, like I said, I'm, I would be the negative guy in the back that goes like, OK, well, you don't really know anything about engineering, JFK. Uh, how are you even speaking to this? You're like, you have no. And uh, Steve Jobs is another person that said, and I mean, to the detriment of his workers at times. I don't know if the engineers at NASA, I think they're probably really enthusiastic about the project. But Steve Jobs would say, hey, you guys are going to build this thing. And he's like, and everyone was like, well, you don't know anything about building things, actually. You don't have an engineering background. And he would work people like dogs. People would break down crying because they were in built, working like slaves, essentially, to build his vision of the moonshot. And yeah, it was successful a lot of the time. But is that a good thing for the world? Is that a good thing for the company? Is that a good place to work? Well, isn't it the same way that people felt with JFK saying we're going to the moon? I think that, I mean, I don't know, but I, I, the, my understanding, and I'm not an expert on it, is the, the engineers at NASA actually were really enthusiastic. And I don't think they were... Uh, treated like garbage. Like Steve Jobs, when he when people failed him or people made products that didn't live up to his expectations, he'd cuss them out, he'd tell them they were worthless, and he would he was not a very nice man. And um, but I mean Apple has been a moonshot company in a lot of things. Like with the MacBook Air, where you're like, you can't make a a quality computer that's that's that thin and they did it. So like I said, I I do get excited about things. I'm not just in the back being like, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> but I do uh, tend to go to the critical skeptical place. I'm a natural skeptic that's my brain space, I guess, that I feel most comfortable in. So what those kids do and what that, that lifeguard uh, like thing to save people's life, that's obviously amazing. But I'm just wondering, are there students that maybe either didn't have the opportunity to participate there, or if they had had the opportunity to participate there, they wouldn't have been able to be in, been successful. And they might not be able to be a, been able to do some sort of um, like kind of basic office job because they don't have the basic skills to actually mm -hmm. write and do ma basic math. So they're now flipping burgers at McDonald's because they weren't be able to, they couldn't do the moonshot and they didn't get the basic skills to get some sort of job that would be able to provide a basic middle-class life for them. Okay. That's well, my, that, that that's my critical eye. That's my critical eye. And I, I don't want to uh, be down on the guy when no, we interview no, him. No. That's just where my, I, that's the questions I have, I guess is the best way to say it. All right, so uh, we're going to wrap this up with what's going on around us. And again, uh, this is something that uh, for us, if uh, 
If you're uh, NASA, if you work at NASA at the time where um, if you were treated badly, can you please let us know so that we can have that? Because I'm pretty sure competing with the Russians wasn't uh, all positive that, you know, it's okay, guys, keep trying. But um, have you seen, by the way, have you seen uh, Hidden Figures? No, I haven't. Okay, you're in that movie. So you, you'll see yourself when you watch it. Sheldon Cooper. He's in that. Uh, but he, 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 it's actually pretty good, especially with math. My son is really into math right now after watching that movie because he was like, uh, actually watch it and then we'll have it for our next discussion because uh, there's some really interesting stuff that I didn't realize how much math... Um, well, first off, to get to the moon, but this is the time before computers. So all of it was, the numbers were all crunched by people, and they called the people computers. computers which I, knew, I, was like, I knew that. But I, I was like, oh, and then who they were. So it's kind of a cool story. All right, so what's going around us? So Jacob, what's going around you? So last week during the uh, great heat wave we had in Santa Rosa, I was uh, roofing my house. And it was a thrilling opportunity to understand why I like that I work in IT and don't roof houses for a living, because I'm... I'm not very old, but I was so sore. I was like decrepit, like like walking like a cowboy around my house the next day because my knee, knees hurt so bad. But I was roofing, like I took, that was my vacation. That was my summer vacation, roofing my house for all week. So by Sunday, I'd been roofing all week and I was so done with roofing. Um, it's like my, if, you go, if you know people, if you know someone that roofs, like roofing. you have someone that is a roofer in your family, give them a hug for me because it is a hard job. It's a really, I think I've, I've done a lot of the trades when renovating my house, like carpentry, plumbing, even some cement, like in, uh, foundation work. But roofing is my, it's its tough, man. It's really tough. Um, so, yeah, that's my, what's going around me is that I'm glad that I'm, I've finished the teardown and we're thinking about hiring someone to put the new roof on. <laughs> um, so that is what I'm excited about. It takes a big man to say, <laughs> I'll pay someone else to do it because that would suck. I would not even do that. I'm just telling you, being honest, I would not go on the roof. Of it's house. not fun, man. <laughs> Um, I, so what's going around with me is that uh, this month has been full of just being able to expand my learning. Um, the one that I was talking about last podcast, I got a chance to spend a weekend at the USS Hornet, um, got to sleep on on the actual ship, and then do some history um, sessions where I got some really incredible information. But also just being able to walk. I don't know how many times I got lost on the ship and then how many times I hit my shin on the shin kickers, which the doors are, are made a little bit up and so if you're not paying attention you go up i hit my head a couple times but i'm not even <laughs> i'm barely 5'11 and i was just like looking at people walking with their head hunched over and and then just being on that ship just you know feeling uh the history that was there the apollos landed i mean there was some some amazing experiences from having a uh, a, a history summit on a on an on a, on a actual aircraft carrier. It was a pretty incredible. Um, and then the, and then the course of that time, I got to expand my learning by talking to other people that were passionate. Um, I got, you know, be able to uh, listen to other thoughts of technology, of how to do it. So one of the things that I got out of this weekend was I don't know anything. I feel like every time I feel like I got a concept down. So the Google Slides... Um, one of the, the, the people that were there started showing us pictures and I'm like, oh, I've seen this before full screen. And then he said, then he started taking polyline, cutting out shapes to cut out the picture. And so the picture had, uh, it was from the ghetto um, in, uh, in, in the Holocaust and um, it was going through and had a boy playing. So the cutouts were one by way. It was taking away the images that were, were in the background, but it was showing them little by little. So it showed me the kid in his joy, showed me the girl skipping, it showed me a girl standing on something, and then it took away the last frame, which was the barbed wire fence over the top, and, and, then, and then it brought it back into reality. And it was a kind of an amazing experience 
nice to see it that way. And so it allowed me to look at history a little bit different. So um, I've been really, really uh, this month been blessed to be able to go out and, and get this kind of uh, opportunities to see each other. Yeah, and uh, it looks like an awesome time. I'm jealous that I'm jealous that you went to that. I didn't get I didn't get a chance to go, but it's, you showed me the presentation about the Polyline tool. Yeah, and it's cool because sometimes. Uh, like when I was a kid, especially when I looked at art, I was just kind of like, okay, like a pictures and people doing some stuff. And, and what a lot of people do when they look at those things, especially if it's like a famous scene or a, a, a part of a famous part of history is it does, it does help focus your attention and be like, okay, how do you interpret this picture now? And how do you interpret it now? And then how do you interpret with the wall of barbed wire? So like, what does that add to your understanding of the picture and kind of, and kind of have a discussion, you know, like it gives a little narrative to the, um, to the, to the story and allows you to focus students' attention. So I actually thought that was really cool. It was a cool way of doing it. I'd never seen that before. And you shared, I mean, I wasn't there, but I, I appreciate yeah. sharing that with me because it was really, uh, you could actually, I would, you should put that uh, on the show notes. in the show notes. Yeah, and then Ryan O'Donnell uh, is the guy who who did that. And, uh, and, and to hear him talk, and I've shared his podcast with him, with you, of uh, uh, check this out. Um, he loves history. And to be around somebody that's like, so into the picture that I was just like, I don't know what the picture is, but I want to visit it. Uh, it was an amazing experience. All right, um, Erwin. Thank you, Jacob and George. Um, so what's going on around me uh, right now is we have uh, summer projects that Jacob and I are tackling since uh, school is out. Uh, gives us the opportunity to um, go through devices, uh, especially Chromebooks, and uh, figure out which ones are not working and which ones are. And those that aren't working, we are uh, fixing uh, either keyboard, screen, whatever the issue may be. And uh, the um, then we have other uh, miscellaneous projects involving our network um, that we want to address and uh, essentially approved before the start of next uh, school year. And uh, last but not least, I do have a vacation planned with my family um, in about a week. So looking forward to that and uh, should be a, 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 a you know good, good time off. I've been looking forward to it for several months now. So, uh, but yeah, that's basically what's going on uh, around me. <laughs> All right. And so that's it for this one. So I hope you guys uh, uh, got excited about the moonshot. We will follow this episode up with an interview uh, with uh, Brendan and Chris so that you guys can hear a little bit about that. And then hopefully uh, we'll get to some of our questions answered about how this works. So uh, thank you for listening to the show and we'll see you guys on our next uh, episode. Testing one, two, testing one, two. Okay. Um, what song do you want? No, I'm gonna be the beat, bait. Mr. Simmons, bring me a treat. <laughs> Make him the I cutest that I've ever I heard seen. This song, but I don't know. <laughs> 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 <laughs>